It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Fresh Arsenal Podcast, episode 30. I'm your host, PB, not OPB, so Petra Barisha. Alongside me is JB. How are you doing, mate? Hello, hello. I'm very well, thank you. It's good to be back uh, hosting my own pod, you know. Uh, but it's, it's, been, it's been a while. In fact, last time we spoke, we hadn't signed Ben White. And we were getting stick for talking about signing Ben White before we'd signed Ben White, which was quite interesting considering pretty much everyone in the know, every journalist, every Arsenal connected person knew that it was happening. But we did, we did sign him. We, we did sign him. We did. So, uh, yeah. so fair play. Fair play. I just, want to start off with... Can you just confirm with... with me that we don't have cameras on? Because you deliberately dodged that question before we started recording. I have my camera on. We will not be putting video out, but I just thought it'd be nice. No, for, that's fine. For, you can see my face know, now. I just, you know. Just for the, you know, the, 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 what is it? The cohesion, the, the, you know, what is it? The chemistry of the podcast. I think so I can see better. you smile when you make a joke and then realize it was a joke and not just a dumb yeah. comment. And you can also see me not smile when you make a joke and you're like, oh, I'll probably tone it down. I'll just assume it's lag. Um, I, let's, we're going to talk a little bit about the Leeds game. And then also the Southampton one. But before we get into that, I know I said before the show that I wanted to do this at the end, but I want to get your broader thoughts on everything. Everything that's happened since we signed Ben White, which is just, the last time you Just were in show. football? Or are we going I mean, broader? you know, we could talk about new COVID variants if you want, blah, blah, blah. But like, I think if we keep it to Arsenal, it, it should be should be better for the audience. Um I mean, one of the good things about not doing the pod is there's no documented evidence of me flip-flopping over the last <laughs> six months. I've got WhatsApps, though. I, I'll deny them. Look, <laughs> I, I started the season excited, clear plan in the summer, um, bad three games to start the season. I can't even remember. We did. We signed Ben White before Brentford because he lost a header 
and everyone went mad. Um, shaky start. Then the, the kind of post-international break got the team together, got Tommy Asu in. Everything made a lot of sense. Then we realised things weren't as entertaining as we hoped and, and the attacking football wasn't there. And then we started doing well. Then we had the losses to Liverpool and, and was it United and Everton. And yeah. everyone decided they wanted the manager to go. And, and to be honest, in my in my flippy, floppy <clears throat> phase, I kind of thought that was enough evidence to kind of say he wasn't going to do it. And obviously now he's the best manager in the world again. So, look, it changes week to week. I think my view and where I've landed is that it doesn't really matter who the manager is, and it hasn't this season. This is a kind of, this is all about building a squad. We've got a young squad that is just inherently going to be inconsistent. And as long as we can see a trajectory, we need to kind of, I say need to, as long as we can see a trajectory, there's kind of justification for, for getting behind it. And I think we can all see a trajectory, even if it's, you know, it's yeah. a, as a man who's familiar with crypto, right? The kind of short term <laughs> trends are pretty volatile, but the long term trend is kind of going upwards. And I mean, that's the stock market. It's basically everything, right? Like nothing's actually perfectly uphill sloping with no dip. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I see it. I might be completely wrong, but I see a, I see an upward trajectory that in the short term can just be painful. And, and sometimes you do have those big explosions with managers that come in and everything clicks, right? We saw it with Thomas Tuchel last season when he comes into Chelsea. Everything clicks, right? He, he suddenly creates a system that gets the best out of... But he came into a squad that was actually yeah. well-built and ready to win things, right? A absolutely. But what I'm about to say is now we're not seeing the wheels fall off, but we are seeing... Like, let's, you know, Chelsea won the Champions League with a you know, half a billion pound squad spent a hundred million on like a top five, top 10 striker in the world. And there's, m it looks like there's more chance of them getting into a top four battle than a, than a premier league title race. And, you know, they kind of got fortunate with the champions league draw. And what I'm saying basically is that like the expectation after Tuchel came in was that uh, after he'd won the champions league was that, okay, now Chelsea are just going to go dominate and, do really well in every competition that they're in and sometimes it just doesn't work like that right like you can't continuously go up and up and up and um the very few managers that do whether it be like pep guardiola um they get to spend as much money as they want every summer so it is very difficult and you know you're seeing it with a lot of coaches now like diego simeone there's like a lot of stalling going on at Atletico they can't get rid of him because he's on 25 million euros a year like Carlo Ancelotti was was you know absolutely finished at Everton last season got them finishing in a terrible spot and then goes to Real Madrid it clicks again he knows a lot of the players there and they're playing amazing football and probably going to win the Liga so I just you know sometimes it's 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 kind of like difficult for coaches to continuously excel forever if that makes sense and I think I think for, for us as Arsenal we're in a much better spot in the sense that Arteta seems to be learning from the evidence that we have we have seen green shoots in both results but also style of play and we can kind of see like I think even 
the staunchest kind of Arteta outs can say, okay, now I can actually, I can't pick like two or three games. I can pick like a sample size of, you know, larger than that to showcase this is what he probably wants to do, um, which I think is encouraging for, for most people. But I think for me, even more broadly than that, we now are in a situation where the, the summer transfer window business that we did, it's kind of you know, hedging our bets to some extent in case it doesn't work out with Arteta. And if it doesn't work out with him, then you still have a really good, exciting young crop of players. You have the capital resources there for for anyone that wants to come in. And you also have, like, clearly a very good academy that is producing really talented players. But, I mean, that's why I'm I'm on the squad-building hype train, right? Because this is about, you know, building a manager-agnostic squad and playing style that... You know, there's a five-year or ten—you maybe not ten because who knows who's going to be here—but a five-year plan or a three-year plan with the club and with the squad. And if you do that, then the manager matters less. Now, obviously, having Tuchel versus Lampard, you're going to see differences. But you know, to, to your to your broader point, you're kind of you're seeing the role of a manager diminish in football. We've seen it over over a longer period. You're seeing one of a few things happens, right? A manager can come in and just never click. A manager can come in and click for a bit and then fail. Or they can stay for two or three years and then leave. You're not really getting much more. I think what we haven't really seen, and this is where Arteta's interesting, is we don't really see managers come in, not really work, stay and turn it around. And I think... You I know, know. Like, I bet if that's what Arteta's done, right? Because he won an FA Cup in year one. But from a playing style perspective, you know, it, it's taken time to get the squad and get the team playing how he wants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You could argue it's because normally when that happens, managers just get moved on, and even if they were going to do it, you never see it. But I guess back to your to your bigger point, it just doesn't. We'll see, and we'll see in the near future what happens with Arteta, but as long as we are separately building the squad for the three years from now, it's kind of fine whether we find out, you know, I said it earlier in the season, it's kind of fine whether we find out about Arteta in August, in January, or at the end of the season, because that doesn't really move the dial on where we're getting to in three years. But also, if you let him spend £150 million, you, you have to kind of give him some time. Right, like with that. So yeah, if you're I, if you're a well-run, so, sensible club. Yeah, but and I think that the the amount of money spent is is slightly overstated in a way because like you know the players that have come in have come on on, on pretty modest contracts, right? Um, we we spent more on Meza Urzel over three years than we did on Ben White in terms of the transfer fee. So. And that was a player that we already bought for forty-two and a half million pounds, just to give people some context. So, I think when you look at, I don't know, a signing like Varane that costs thirty-five million, and then he costs you another fifty million a year over four years, that suddenly becomes a lot of money. Like you're talking about a hundred million pound package, and that's way more than Ben White's package over this, you know, the five years. So, I'm, I, I am. You know, there is a lot of lazy punditry where it's like, yeah, he spent £150 million. It's like, yeah, he did, but Spurs also spent, you know, £25 million on a backup goalkeeper that they don't play. Um, United play uh, have spent £80 million on Jadon Sancho, who, you know, 
isn't isn't getting a look in that or hasn't really prospered too much that much probably will in the end because he is really good um villa spent 100 million pounds i know they got 100 million pounds from jack Grealish, but they spent 100 million pounds and none of those players look good like i remember a lot of arsenal fans saying we should go for danny Ings, and i was like that is not a good idea but anyway do you just mean ollie (laughs) no no there was actually quite a few um and i understood it but i was kind of like doesn't seem sensible but like do you know what i mean like there are teams that spent money and you know yeah you you need to just i mean you need to look at total cost right you need to look at the total outgoings because from the club's perspective that's what matters i think the other side of that is if these things don't work out and i'm i'm not saying this is how i want to look at it but if these guys don't work out at least we haven't bought players in on wages that we can't shift them on you know what's a better move nuno on I mean, Nuno for 8 million, I mean, and whatever he's on, I assume he's on like, I don't know, 30, 35 a week. Or Kalasinac on a free at 120 grand a week that we're stuck with, right? So I kind of get it because wages are often secret and people don't really see them. But, but from an actual, like, real life running a club perspective, completely. And, you know, that's going to go again. We're going to... We're going to lose Lacazette, who's on 170 grand a week. We could easily go and spend... I'm making these numbers up, right? But we could easily go and spend 40 to 60 million on a replacement who ends up being on half the wages. So... Yeah. Like, let, let's let's take, you know... I know we might not, or we might be interested in him, but Alexander Ishak at uh, Real Sociedad is a really interesting player. He Five-star week foot on FIFA. Five-star week foot. He could be bought for, like, you know, 40, 50 million euros or whatever it might be. And he could come in on like 70k, right? And whether we like it, that's kind of why, and you know, we'll probably get into the Eddie conversation after we talk about the, the cup game, but like, that's why one player that interested me over the summer that I'm kind of annoyed that we didn't really push the boat out on was Tammy Abraham, right? And a lot of people were saying 40 million, that's a lot of money. But like, he's, you know, a 40 million pound player, um, but he's he would probably not be on that absurd a wage. Right? Yeah, I, I really like Tammy. I think the thing with that is it was just prioritization, right? You can't yeah. you can't address everything in one window. But clearly, we were a little bit ahead of the curve because now we we're in a situation in the summer where we're going to have no strikers, which is pretty interesting. Let's talk a little bit about Leeds. Um, I kind of went into that game thinking we were going to win quite comfortably, um, and mm. it was it was it was strange and I. I'll tell you why, because I remember saying to you, Carl and uh, Ollie, that I'm already nervous for our next away game. But like when it came down to it, that 15 minutes before the game where you're watching the build up and you're like, you know, you either get butterflies or you don't. I know people might not do anymore, but I still do as an Arsenal fan, especially for big games. Um, I, I felt pretty calm about this. I felt pretty calm about the West Ham game. I felt even calmer about this game because I just looked at the team on paper and I was like... I cannot see this team not creating a lot of chances in this specific game. And Leeds were awful, but we did play really, really well. Those first 45 minutes, I think, you know, we were like an 8, 9 out of 10. It's like as good as this Arteta, this specific Arteta side has probably played. But yeah, curious to hear your thoughts uh, generally on how how that game went before we we break it down uh, moment by moment. Yeah, I mean, it was still a banana skin, right? Like, I... I agree with you. On paper, you know, Leeds had no players. They were, 
you know, fielding that under 12s, if you'd believed what you saw on the internet. Um, and then with all the other games being called off, I was just, you know, I was so sure. It was it was on paper the, the perfect time to play Leeds away, right? Um, and then suddenly everyone else got called off. And I was like, either they're going to call this off or we're going to make a massive fuss to keep it on and find a way to lose. And, and the I, whole world is watching it. And point, everyone's right? watching. And I do think, you know, the Arsenal of seasons past might have found a way to lose it. Um, and I still can't tell if we played differently or if they just gave us so much space it was obvious what to do. But we turned up and we battered them. And I, I completely understand the people saying... Oh yeah, but Leeds are rubbish, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But like Everton were rubbish. Yeah, United Everton were rubbish, and United were rubbish. We played a load of crap teams in this season and in previous seasons, and not done this to them. And I think just having the ability to do this to a team is is progress. Um, and look, I'm not saying Leeds were great, although they did have an older team than us, despite all the nonsense we heard. But Still scoring four goals is hard, and this is a game we could have easily won one or two nil scrappily a year ago. So you've got to take it. And like honestly, if you can't enjoy four one, then what are you doing supporting a football club? <laughs> I also kind of think about this right in a weird way. Um, every time I see us beat a team away from home, and it's not been often this season, right? But my automatic thought is, oh, we we still have them to play at home. So, like, we're still going to play Leeds at home this season, and that's going to probably be um, a win, right? I've probably cursed it now, but, like, you know, you'd expect Arsenal with the, in the form that they're in at home to beat Leeds when Leeds turn up at, at the Emirates. And what I'm kind of saying there is, like, if you have a really strong home record, like we do this season, and, and you know, touch wood, it continues going, you end up in a situation where every three points you pick up away feels like triply important because you know at home that there's very a very good chance you're going to do the double over them and you know our home record is is good because we haven't we've only played like Chelsea at home right and I guess Spurs and West Ham to be fair so we've we've just not got the you know the top two on paper and then United at home um I I kind of look at that in in that way like you know if we beat leads away we then have them at home that's kind of six points out of a you know out of those 38 out, games out of six but, just to clarify six out of six yeah <laughs> um but let's uh yeah that's kind of how i was looking at it during the end of the game i was like you know what like being leads away it's great because you get those three points on the board and they're not a given but this leads team still has to come to the emirates and that's probably and look like leads are probably going to lose to most of our rivals away from home but like we still need to put up those points on the board, and I think there's a lot made up of um, you know ga- you know games in hand. Everyone being like, oh yeah, like we're way ahead, but Spurs have got four games in hand. So what? Like they still need to win or draw those games to get those points on the board, and you know it's not going to be easy. Like yeah. it's not easy having games in hand in this season, especially. You know, I'd rather have points on the board than games in hand. Absolutely, and I also think there's just you know. There's this thing people do where they just go, well, right, well, it's three games in hand, so that's nine points. It's like, well, if you're Liverpool or City, yes. But there's a reason these clubs are fighting out for fourth to seven. I guarantee you Spurs fans would rather have our points total and our games played. Yeah, because if this was the other way around, I'd be confident that we wouldn't make that difference up. 
Yeah, um, especially if you've got Liverpool away, Leicester away. These clubs are fighting for fourth to seventh because they can they can go and I mean it's not the defeats right, but you can just go and produce a stinky draw against anyone. Right, look at us against Palace or Brighton yeah. or whatever. Um, you know, we we'd put three or four past those teams on another day. They were good, but we should still be beating them. And there's a reason we are where we are. It's because we don't beat these sides. And it's the same with Spurs, right? Like, Conte's first game, having had his fake preseason through their convenient COVID tests, etc., etc. I, I don't read too much into that because Spurs have always been good in recent years against big sides. They're the only tactic they have that works is Son and Kane on the break. Then they go and play against a side that sits behind the ball and they struggle. It's just like, okay, let's see what happens in those games. Um, you know, that's where they draw. They've beaten City, they've beaten United, they've beaten all these teams on because they know how to play on the break. But actually, making top four is about beating the, the teams that come to or don't come to play against you. Yeah, and I, and I think fourth spot, fourth to seventh, are probably going to be lower points totals than they are in the few, in, in the past. I mean, what are we because... on? We've got the fifth best fifth best squad in the league. Yeah, you know, between fifth and seventh, whatever you want to call it, right? Where do you think is? Where do you think we should be aiming for? Not like, you know, obviously fourth is possible. Yeah, I think but... before the season, I think before the season, I would have said if we came sixth and had a good cup run slash competed for a trophy, I think that would have been good. I think it's fair to move the goalpost slightly because of where we are. And that's not saying, like, that's my expectation. But I think we should be competing for top four going into the last quarter of the season, like from this point in. Um, and and look, like if we come... and But I think this is what I said like in the last in the last episode, right? There's a lot of nuance to this because... You didn't listen, by the way. You, you didn't listen, obviously. But a lot of people are saying like, okay, if Arteta makes top four, great season. If he doesn't, he should be sacked. And making it that black and white is a bit stupid because if we came sixth and we played... 70% of the rest of our games like we did against West Ham at home and Leeds away and we have another transfer window and we have a very young team and we had a couple of cup runs maybe even win one of them and we have Europe next season It's there's a lot of green shoots there to be positive about a club that let's be honest needed an absolute rehaul rebuild and reset and we needed to clear a lot of big wages off the books the final big contracts are getting off the books this summer. We are we are steering an oil tanker here, and there is not going to be it. There was never any, ever going to. Once the like Socrates, uh, Lichtensteiner signings don't get you back into top four, then it's like project restart. Yeah. And you, you know we're in a position now where um, I think if we did come top six with with the context that we were playing in this manner. And, you know, we're back in Europe. We, we would have a lot more time to give youngsters chances in Europa League. We'd be able to have a bigger squad. Um, we'd had a couple of cup runs. And then we can go do some big business in the summer again and rehaul that attack. For me, that is, like, positive and the trajectory is, is going that way. And then next season, if Arteta doesn't do really well, you still have the squad that you could give a really good coach. Um, so so that's, that's my perspective. I do want to talk about the, the goals in the Leeds game because... Um, loads of people were writing off Martinelli, uh, JB, and 
let's talk about Didn't this first. Didn't you call him got... the worst footballer you've ever seen? I think I called him not even a footballer. Yeah, I, I remember you, you mailed a pig's head to his family or something. It was pretty <laughs> it was pretty poor. It was a low point for you. One of one of several last year. If anyone doesn't realise he's he's joking, I've always loved Martinelli. Um I've always thought his uh ceiling is incredibly high, like just rated him amazingly. Like I think he's a top, top tier talent. Like I think he's as good a talent as any twenty year old in the world, and that's like not me exaggerating it like I think he's he's right up there um and we're really really lucky to have him the first goal I think is just like you can see the 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 confidence coursing out of him like it's he's just coming he doesn't even think about it it's just he's smashing that ball it's um, also such a contrast to just I mean not everyone because I could see like I could see Smith Rowe doing that and I could actually see Lacazette doing that. Yeah. But I don't think I could see any other player in our squad hitting Lacazette if he, if he shot. If he, if he yeah, yeah, yeah. But when he goal. does, he, he has that conviction on it, right? Like, because actually, like, if him, you remember... His, his, was it Newcastle? Or the, yeah. The cutback from Saka. Like, Southampton. That's, that's, yeah. Um, we were there together, come on. That's Lacazette <laughs> territory. But like, if you think, if you imagine, if you remember, was it United away where... We're on the break. It goes to Aubameyang. He cuts in, oh. and it's like the take. And I, I know it's not a he big chance. He knew he wasn't getting a shot off there. It, it's like a zero point zero five xg shot, right? But I just feel in and around that position, the likes of Martinelli, the likes of Smithrow, when they get there, but there's something, there's something more to it, right? It's the instinct. Yeah. Like the, the Martinelli goal against West Ham. I don't think I realised at the time. You know, his shot was his second touch. Yeah, so amazing. he takes that on the run with his left outside foot outside the box with his left foot. That touch takes it out of his feet at an angle, right? It's not just out of his feet at the angle that allows him to run onto it. Takes him across the defender, in front of the defender, and allows it to him to hit it second touch with his right foot into the far post. That is obviously very good, but I think the reason it's good. Is because it's so instinctive, and again, um, this first goal against Leeds was so instinctive. He saw it and he just went for it. Didn't aim it. Didn't over-engineer. Didn't try and work an open goal. Just put it in and put it in the corner or kind of far enough to the keeper's side. And his second goal, again, kind of messed up a touch, but there's something about. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I'm sure you saw the tweet, Pet, about three or four years ago. I tweeted about uh, there's like a level of player who basically finishes in parts of the net that you don't expect them to shoot. Um, and what do I mean by this? Like Neymar often does it, where he'll just put it into the roof of the net. Yeah. And most people just hit it hard to one side or the other. And it's like, that's actually a massive part of the goal that's open. And 99% of players just would not shoot there. Drogba used to do it a lot as well. Um, and some, and you're just like, oh, wow, that's like a huge target. They've made this look really easy. Like um, Smith Rowe, actually, the left-footed goal he scored on the weekend was kind of like that. Yeah. And he nearly, he nearly had one against uh, last night as well. Uh, on the volley. Yeah. And it doesn't quite about... go in the corner, but it's a really good strike. Yeah. And there's something about having the variety of, of finishing where you're not, you know, it, this isn't like, oh, I need to get good contact or 
you know, let take Danny Ings as an example. He's basically got one type of... I know he scored that really good lob, which is now making me doubt this, but he's basically got that one type of finish where he wraps his foot around it. Yeah. Um, and there's something about, you know, Martinelli basically scoring different goals, but not just different goals, different finishes that shows a level to his game that not many players have. A lot of people have been saying there's a bit of Arshav into him, and he doesn't have the technique or the shooting capabilities of an Arshavin but I agree in the terms of like the finishing the variety of finishing you can imagine Martinelli you remember Arshavin's first ever goal when he goes that like tricks down the byline and he and he and he like kind of smashes it into the roof of the net that wasn't you his could, first goal that was, was it not his first goal that was the Blackbird goal but carry on wasn't I that not his, his first, first goal four were all in the Liverpool game no yeah that was his no. debut his debut I'm pretty sure no. Arshavin debut Arsenal. Feb, 23rd Feb, 2009. Uh. No, his debut was against Sunderland. Okay, fine. Well... But his, was his first goal against Blackburn? No! Anyway. Any, okay, anyway, 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 anyway. Reply to us telling us how wrong we both are. <laughs> anyway, um... That kind of finish or that goal, you can imagine a Martinelli yeah. scoring. And like I think of like you know Pedro, right? The Barcelona Pedro is now at Lazio. You remember his goal in the Champions League final against uh, Real Madrid, uh, against United. Yeah, uh, against United, where it, like you you feel for all the world he's going to go into the bottom left corner, and then he just like literally puts yeah. it in the bottom right and um, um, sits Messi, down. Messi chips it over Almunia. Yeah, 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 exactly. That kind of finish. But like, Can I, I think with it... Martinelli. What like? Do you, I I like all the comparisons, right? I've seen yeah. Mane, I've seen Ronaldo, Wal- I've seen Walcott. But like, he does just feel very Alexis. I think he does, but like, he's not a middle third player, and Alexis so he, a lot of the time was a middle third player. He's, he's better in open. He's better in big spaces. He's a better yes. ball carrier. But, like, his dribbling technique's very similar. <sighs> I don't know if it is. Very similar. Again, I don't know if it is. Like, I think Alexis... Alexis had a weird, really weird shooting technique where he liked playing a lot of it with the inside of his foot. Not liked all of it. Alexis could only use the inside of his foot. No, but you remember his goal against Villa in the, in the final, right? Like, he absolutely leathers it. Right, yeah. and it, was... it like swerves and it moves around, and I don't know if Martinelli has that kind. I he'll add that. I don't think many players have that at twenty. No, no. I I think he needs the the man legs to do that. Right, um, like, unless you're you're like a. I I was thinking about this. If you think back to, I mean, first of all, Smith Rowe when he came into the team, everyone was complaining about how hard he can hit the ball, and now he started scoring from outside the box. Yeah, um, Saka was similar. Look at, I mean, Ronaldo, the player he was when he came to the league, he couldn't kick the ball properly. He was, he yeah. was a step-over merchant. Henri was a dribbler. He had the soft finish, but he didn't have the power. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of that many players who had that power in their early 20s. I think it is something Maybe Maybe develop. Greenwood at United, like he hits the ball pretty hard. He but does. Then you but have, I don't think it's common. Know, no, it's not. It's not. And... 
Yeah, it's 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 it'll be interesting to watch. I think he's yeah, I think he's a top talent, and I think he's going to be really really good for Arsenal. Um, good on us for like tying him down, and I think I think credit to the manager to be honest because you know we we've talked a little bit about Arteta like before this game, but if you think about it, Saka was a left back when Arteta came in. He, he, but he he played. He was a, he left was a winger, back. but he played at left wing back. But you but okay, yeah. But like he was playing left back, left wing back, right? And now we've played him in a position where, I guess, not really any other coach played him, and he's prospering, and he looks a lot better, right? And mm-hmm. and a lot of people could say devil's advocate, like he's a young player, he's going to get better. But like mm-hmm. there are aspects of his game that have been clearly coached, and whether that's Arteta or the coaching staff, whoever I don't know. Martinelli looks a lot more polished he looks bigger stronger he looks fitter and he looks defensively more aware in every game like one of my things is that a lot of the games you watch Odegaard scream at him or you watch Tierney scream at him like to get in specific positions that's having happening less and less every week I think that's the bit where he still has the biggest gap the the instinctive running you know like his runs were never an issue his finishing was was never an issue but he's been coached in, in specific ways Smith Rowe, you know, like he made his second ever Premier League start Boxing Day last year. So I I think there's a lot of evidence now to suggest that this is a coach or this is a coaching team and a structure within Arsenal that is quite good at getting the best out of young players and improving them. And that that kind of excites me. There are parallels for me in two ways, right? One is from a coaching perspective and two is from a development perspective. So yeah. From a coaching perspective, there are clear parallels between the Martinelli and Saka situations and what you read about Sane and Sterling and co at City. In terms of the things they needed to learn to do, both in terms of the lanes and positioning and also being smart. There's loads about, you know, not just them, but other wingers knowing when to go, you know, fast and slow, having layers to their game. Um, you know, Messi famously stands still a lot. There's loads of there's loads of just being smarter with when you know you can sprint all game, but it's not about doing that. It's about changes of direction and subtle things and whatever. And it's also about recycling. And even with Pepe, right? Like yesterday, I know the opposition yesterday wasn't the best, but he was recycling more deep. Sorry, yeah, more, recycling more when he play, came deep, and he was taking the risks in the final third. And there wasn't yeah. much confusion between the two, right? So. From a coaching perspective, that's clear. I also think, from a development perspective, there are parallels with Foden, where yeah. I remember the no- like the noise. Pep oh, was ruining God. Foden. He's eighteen. He's the biggest talent. If he's not playing, him should be out on loan. And it's as know, if the best manager of all time knew what he was doing. Well, well may- like, maybe he didn't, and Foden would be even better if he'd gone out on loan to Crawley for two years, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> You can see that sometimes a manager just wants to work one-on-one with a good young player, yeah, get them ready, and then throw them in when they are ready. And, and, and there's also a, a cultural thing, right? Arteta's clearly trying to build a culture. He's said it a hundred times. There are a lot of... I know Clive on the Arsenal Vision podcast always says it. It's starting rebuilding that culture. Maybe you want the young player to be around for that. Maybe you want Gabriel Martinelli to see, um, you know, what happens when you don't abide by those non-negotiables a la Bamiang. Maybe you want to see, you want them to see that this is a, a club that's not going to tolerate anything but kind of 
good on and off the pitch. And we've seen it at City with, um, you know, Foden and Grealish, right? Like, there are a lot of players at City now that, you know, are getting more minutes because of that. And mm. they see that, like, if that's the way you behave, you don't get into the side. But, like, again... It's interesting, though, because I guess what we don't have for Martinelli is a ton of senior role models. Like, no. arguably, him and the academy players are going to learn more from Saka and co on how to get make it than actually, you know, it's not like they've got Henri and Perez and whoever to kind of learn from. We've got four or five senior players. One is now out of the squad. One is leaving. I mean, Lacazette's probably the one they all talk about as the role model, but he's off. You know, so if you're Martinelli, I mean, maybe Saka's the one you point to as, by the way, if, this, if you want to make it, this is how. Hello? Have you lost me? Yeah, no, no, sorry. I lost you for a second. Um, did you get my great point? If you, I if did you, get your great point. Wonderful. My camera disappeared for a second there, but we're good. We're good. Um, let's talk about the third and fourth goals quickly. Um, I won't cover... I don't think we should cover the, the concession because I think it was just a stupid mistake by Ben White. I think it's really bad defending from just a really bad defender in Cedric on the right. Um, I think we looked all over the place on that side as soon as he came on. Um, I think it's pretty poor from Odegaard again, but it, like... Look, like I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that I expect Odegaard to be a top tier defender in the kind of right back, right wing back in his box space, when you know Cedric should be doing a lot better on that side. And then it gets to Ben White, and he just makes a crazy decision, which I don't really understand. But there we have it; it happens. Do you think and... he was trying to block the shot? I think he slips a little bit. I, no one's really said that, but like, I think that he kind of wants to make a tackle block, but then slips and just says, oh, fuck it, I'll just go all in. Um, and do you think Ramsdale thought he won the ball or was trying to con the ref? Well, I don't know why you... Like, I've heard from some people that Ramsdale is a great guy, but maybe not the most intelligent. And for a second, I think he just forgot that there was VAR. And um, I, I, I think he's trying to con him, but then you're like, well, that's going to... Because yeah, it, it did kind of like hit Ben White's shoulder after and change direction. Like I don't know if he just thought it was maybe, messy, but he got the ball. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, the second, uh, the third, and fourth goals, like the Saka one, I thought he was. I thought Saka looked like he played in third gear and still was like a top three player on the pitch. Um, and he's getting to that level now that goal assists aside he looks like he's dropping a clinic every single game, no matter who is who it's against. Like, the West Ham game, I think, was probably one of his best in an Arsenal shirt. And So, so this... I mean, look, the West Ham game is difficult because um, I was going to make a joke about sitting next to you and then I realised it wasn't a West Ham game. So, anyway. <laughs> the West Ham game was a difference for me, and I said it at the time. I have never seen that Saka before. He went up a level in that game. I have never yeah. seen him run at a fullback so aggressively. And he did it against Leeds as well. He's added the 1v1 take-ons in the final. Like, he's always been a good ball carrier. He's always carried and like dribbled past people in the middle third. But to see him just so happy to go at a fullback and, and just do them every time... 
that's new. And if he's adding that to his game, it's very exciting. And he did it against Leeds yeah. as well. Um, I, I, I just think he's really, really good. Do like, you? Interesting. Okay. I, I you think, think, you think the guy who was first choice for England at the Euros, age 19, is really no, good? I, I, think he, I think it's now not unfair to say that only Foden is above him in terms of players in that age bracket. Yeah, I think the thing I would say with Saka is the conversation needs to move on from him being a good young player. He is yeah. just a very good He's just player. really good. He's and at that level. I tell you what, like he's primed for an explosion in terms of goals and assists. He just gets into too many good situations. He's technically good enough. We've seen him finish. We've seen him score goals and gets, gets us. It's going to happen. What? He's not going to explode because he's now in my fancy team. Ah, there we go. There we have it. Um, third goal, obviously, you know, a little bit messy, but kind of more than we deserved. Hits it and gets deflection. I agree there in. is a little bit of messy. Yeah. Saka. Yeah. Um, fourth goal, very quickly. A player that we didn't touch on, Martin Odegaard. Like, it's almost as if he saw James Madison starting to score goals and assist them. And he saw, like, Can you know, we not? You're going to get Oli all excited. <laughs> no, but seriously, like, he is, like, last night as well against Sunderland, he just, he's just technically unreal. Like, the weight of pass, the swivel, every touch is secure. Like, he never, he never really has a bad touch. So, I, I think um, he's been excellent. What I would say is that these last couple of games couldn't have suited him better. He's had the space to get on it, turn, carry, and pick two. You know, you've got a striker you can slip through, and you've got players both sides you can play through. I am really excited by what he's doing. I want to see more, and I want to see him do it against the better teams as well. But it's great to see. I've, but he was very good against West Ham, and I think penalty he's aside, up a level. penalty aside, he was very good against United. I thought as well. Um, like, obviously, it's a crazy fucking challenge. And discounting that is, you, you can't really. But I thought he was, his overall game, he was pretty good. I, um, I do like having Erdegaard and Lacazette because you have the fight and the craft. And actually, yeah. having Aubameyang with one of them, you were always missing something. Yeah. So you, I, I, the balance I would... of having the goals wide and both of them centrally is actually quite nice. What I would say is... Um... Some like a lot of people talk about his pressures. I don't actually think he's that good a presser. Like the numbers say he is, but when you look at the way he presses, he presses space really well, but he doesn't press players very well. Um, what I mean by that is when he presses players versus Martinelli or even a Lacazette or a Bamiang, it's quite easy for players to just step past him because he doesn't have the pace to kind of recover and, and, and kind of track back um, and, and kind of make those challenges because like we've seen it with Smith Rowe a few times where like he presses the player, the player tries to step in and he like gets around the backside of them and, and nicks it. Lacazette does it all the time. He's Martin also does it weak, a few times. He? he is. Yeah. And look, like I've always said it, the better Arsenal get, the better our Odegaard will get and we'll continue seeing that as yeah. Arsenal get better. Um, and it's obviously like, an absurd pass to Smithrow and pass it to a guy who cannot stop scoring. And a lot of people have said, oh, the underlyings are, are getting unsustainable. It's a medical condition, actually. <laughs> the underlyings are getting unsustainable. But, like, 
Emil Smith-Rowe, as long as he scores goals, will always overperform XG because he's pretty both-footed. And both-footed players will overperform XG because their left foot is far better than the average left foot of a player. So that's that's an interesting thing to think about as well when we're talking about kind of unsustainable metrics. Like, Thanks, Carl. You, you, thank you, Carl. Uh, you have it like with both-footed players and you have players with like who are really good in the air. They often overperform XG because heading on average goals and scoring goals with your weak foot on average is very difficult. So bear that mind. I expect it to kind of slow up at some point, but I wouldn't be surprised if it slows up, but like not to the rate of like a, a zero. Um, but let's like, let's talk about Sunderland last night. I was there again. I was, I was sitting um, lower tier and everyone was standing up the entire time. It was pretty strange, um, but fun. Really fun. And first half, we scored two goals that, you know, arguably we, we didn't really deserve. Um, the first one, good header by holding. We'd hit the bar just before and then comes off and Ketia's knee. Like, you know, you can say he just needs to be there, but he is there quite often, whether it be in cup games or getting opportunities in other competitions. Um, and then the second goal, it's it's a reasonably good kind of back and forth between Cedric and Pe- Pepe and then deflected goal kind of unfortunate for Sunderland I think it's going in anyway or the keeper has to make a really good save but fair play to Pepe putting his, his foot through it um, that first half JB then kind of changed in a strange way where I don't really know where Cedric is and I don't know where our midfield is and then Ben White is probably like I'd say half a metre in terms of positioning to like not deep enough to try and cut that angle off for the pass to make it too difficult a pass it is a good pass and it is good finish i think i mean there's a lot there's a lot there i think question marks about leno as well in terms of he's so small he's so easy to ship there so yeah lots lots to not like about that goal yeah i don't really know where to start so um (laughs) I think that the easiest thing to notice is Ben White. He didn't really seem to know where the striker was. Kind of turned his back on him, got got drawn towards the ball. He did the the, the, the defender turn, didn't he? But he where, like but you're he, running like, and you turn and suddenly you're right? up again. If you charge the ball, you'll, you'll play the guy offside. You're good. But he kind of dropped off, dropped off, didn't know where the guy was, and then got split because the guy went one side and the ball went the other. Yeah. Um, generally, what I would say is. Defenders only really get exposed like that when other people disappear. Yeah. And what you had was El Nenny, like or, or, or Smith Rowe and El Nenny, like one of them missed a foul, and then the other El Nenny, I think, just got dribbled past, and they were they were at us. Pepe was filling in for Cedric, who I don't know where he was. Um, I don't know where Rob Holding was. Then Ben White did the Ben White, and then I still I think do you know what I think a better goalkeeper would have preempted it and been further off their line. I think he makes it. I think a better goalkeeper. I think Ramsdale makes that tougher. He might still get beaten, but he makes that a lot tougher. Well, and I, and, and way, keepers... I think Allison gets to the pass before the striker. Yeah, yeah, and I think someone. And I think he's pretty shit. But I think someone like Larice does as well. Yeah, because and, and I, a I player think that is off their line position, all the time. I just don't think Leno has come off his line. Well, far well the enough. thing is, he he makes. Like, I was behind him, right? So he made. I kept thinking like, get out, get out, get out, get out, and he did it too late. But like. He makes like a nudge forward and then goes back. But first of all, he's like off his line a lot because 
it's a break, right? Yeah. Then he retreats when he sees it coming closer. Then he makes like a couple of steps forward and then goes back and then tries to smother it. Smothers it awfully. But we um, know he is not like an aggressive goalkeeper. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that not only did he not get there, but he wasn't in the position to make that because I don't think his, his natural instinct is to go chasing, right? I think he would have very happily just stayed on his line if he, if he could have. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, let's not let's not dwell on it. I think he was a lot wrong there. I think I think Holding disappeared up the pitch a lot in that half. Yeah. I think Nuno does, but if he does, you need the security. Like, you know, Gabriel gives you the security so that Nuno can disappear. You can't have, and I think what Holding was doing, because he's been coached in the Ben White role a lot, is he would follow up and disappear up the pitch. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on there. And then in the second half, a lot of people were kind of annoyed about Xhaka coming on, but to be fair to him, he came on and like it felt like Sunderland didn't get out of their half after that. And... I think Clive on the Arsenal Vision podcast said we're a double pivot team, and I like you know the four three three thing. I don't think it's going to happen. I, I don't think it might never happen. And if it does, and it's under Arteta, it will happen in like two years from now if he's still here. But I I, I think there's something about also keeping players on their toes. Like a lot of people talking about, oh, you know, like why take Balogun off? And we'll talk about Balogun in a minute. But like. Let's talk about the, the the next few goals because Vinketia finishes for two goal two and three of his are both just really good. Lucky. Oh, sorry. Good. Good. I meant good. <laughs> but like the, the first one, the the first one of those last two. Um, Do you know what's great is that the defender's positioning for for two <laughs> and his second and third was fine, and you can see the confusion in both of the goals where they're just like, where did that guy come from? Um, the second was very Giroud. Yeah. And the third was... I think we've seen him score a very similar... Did he score one earlier this season that was similar? Yeah, he did. In one of the other cup um, rounds, yeah. And it also shows you that, that the pace on the pass matters. Yeah. Like Pepe. I mean, Pepe deserves credit, right? He's he's had a very good game. Again, um... I think when you get those opportunities, right, as a Pepe or a Nketia, all you can do is do what they did. And I, I guess with Pepe, he's playing really weak opposition and the left back was just like not up to it. He was just nowhere near him all night. And even when he was, it was like at the halfway line where Pepe was just kind of, especially in the second half, popping off. In the first half, I think he did the the Pepe thing of dribbling too much in the middle third. And then I think at half time he was told no more dribbling in the middle third, only in the, in the, in the final third. <laughs> and so third goal, I think um, Nuno makes a yeah, great cross. Uh, Eddie cuts across the man, flicks in great finish. Fourth goal. It's just an absurd nutmeg, really. I mean, these are league one players, but they're still professionals and they're still really good at football. And to do that to a person is, you know, Pretty disrespectful, but also really, really, really skillful. I mean, that's then, what we're here for. Like, yeah. show them why they're League One. Yeah, show them why. Uh, my my general view is sure they're League One, but if you if you think you are close to being first team standard at Arsenal, yeah, you need to make the two division split very obvious. And this is and, what I said. Sorry, and some players I was... did. Some players didn't. 
yeah, Moel Nenny might be playing League One football. Is that what you're saying? Um, what I was, no, what no, I said no. in the last, what I said in the last podcast was, which you didn't listen to, but the biggest criticism I give of Arteta, bar individual games and bar like, you know, losing to Emery and, and stuff like that, the broadest thing that I think is kind of consistent throughout his uh, tenure as Arsenal manager is he's really ruthless as a person and a coach and a manager that's never translated onto the pitch and I think in the last three games Sunderland, Leeds and West Ham and you know if you go back to Southampton as well um, and maybe you know Villa and Spurs we are starting to see that creep in yeah. onto the pitch the and word, I like the words that a lot because he's talked about it for two years yeah so long um, and I and I think what's really interesting is like um, I think what's really interesting is that um, you know it's a psychology thing. You can't just sit there and go, guys, I want you to be more ruthless. Yeah, <laughs> I think some of them need the how or the coaching through it or the you know the the psychology side of it, right? Um, you can't just go two 0 up and just go be more ruthless and then yeah. you know suddenly they score four goals. It's not how it works. Um, I, and, and I'm intrigued because some of it's personality and some of it's psychology, right? Like, I, yeah. Are some of the players just just not wired for it? So is some of this that you can kind of coach that into a younger player, but if someone's been playing at a shit level their whole career, they'll never be like that? Like, I'm just... Uh, Cedric, a good example. I don't know. Take Cedric, who's never really played for a good team. Is he? Is he inclined to just you know you go two nil up and you're a right back and now you just hold you're gonna play the safe pass you're gonna and i don't know if he's the best example but you know maybe some of this is that you just need the turnover of players who you know can you teach an old dog new tricks you need a turnover of players yeah, so like that you, nu- you've got people who don't have bad habits nuno for example looks like a player that could be coached to be a very very ruthless left back right in, in the sense that you can't get past him if you're one-on-one and then when he's attacking the other left back, uh, the right back, sorry, he can decimate I'm not him worried about wants. Nuno because I think yeah. our problem with Nuno is going to be that, like, even him when going... it's tight at 1-0, he's going to try and run the pitch and score. Hit, hit, him, him going into central midfield randomly for the last five minutes. Um, you know, quick word, Patino, lovely moment. Really happy with how, um, you know, like the youth academy is producing really great prospects looks really slight i think probably needs to hit the gym a lot and probably go on loan but like charlie patino if you're listening i will take you to the gym you can come and train with me <laughs> um but yeah like really great moment but the i i think the player that i think we deserve to talk about for the last three minutes of this flo balagoon um watching him full name he, florence balagoon it's yeah yeah obviously um he looks like someone that was kind of out of his depth to some extent and i say that kindly because i don't expect him to be oh i don't expect many forwards to come out of youth academies and be world beaters right but i just do think that well a couple of things actually i think i thought he was bigger right and he's not actually that big and i think there might actually be question marks around whether or not he's a a centre forward in the future. I think that's an interesting debate to have. I also 
question whether or not like coming off the bench for a championship side is good for his develop- development. I I would like ideally for him to do like a Armando Broya where you go to like a Vitesse or someone like that in Europe and you actually get to play pressure off for a team that plays reasonably good possession football and you get to play and score goals. I don't... Again, like, Smith-Rowe went to Huddersfield and obviously it's worked out really well. But there are a lot of examples with young players that go to championship clubs, League One clubs. They get the the shit kicked out of them. They, They get used to that kind of physicality. And look, like Tammy Abraham, Bristol City... And then Swansea did a, did you know wonderfully there, but I do I do wonder if if that in fact is the best situation for a player who I don't really know what his best position is going to be, and I don't actually know yet what his ceiling is. Um, there is one other player that we've not talked about, and that's Eddie Nketiah. I don't know if we're going to have much time on that, but where do you think this leaves our forward? conundrum overall JB because we've now got Aubameyang and Lacazette that are probably leaving, Pepe that might go Balogun that goes on loan and Eddie that also might go but people I think are slightly warming to the idea that he could sign a deal and be second or third choice striker at Arsenal um, what, what are your thoughts overall? Um, at the start I thought you were overthinking a bit um, you know, it's his what, second first team appearance of the season. I think that he was playing out of position. And, um, you know, out of position and with a load of players he what, hasn't played with that much. I don't but is, he, is, he, was... is he out of position though? He yeah, does play on the left for the pivoty, under 23s sometimes. He's a pivot he's a striker. He's not a he's not a winger. He's not quick, right? He's he's more in the Lacazette mold than the Aubameyang mold. Obviously there's there's other molds. Other molds are av- available, right? You know, he's not he's not Michael Owen. But um yeah, I didn't read too much into it. His touch was good. He controlled the ball well. He tried I think he was trying very hard. You know, Eddie Eddie was was doing bits, and I think he probably felt that a bit. He tried to mm. hit a couple of worldies and bend bend them in from angles that weren't sensible, and it's kind of understandable that in a you know you're on TV, you're at the Emirates, you're 20, you're the captain of the under 23s, the next big hope. Probably might try too hard. He obviously needs first team football for his development. Um, you can see that the under 23s are not high enough level for him. I don't think it's a bad shout that he goes out in Europe. Um, but I also, I don't really, I think game time matters most. Like what you don't want is a, is a, is an Eddie at Leeds type loan, right? You, you want, you just want minutes in a decent standard league um, with men. So a bit of physicality. I, I, yeah. And to be honest, like I, I get it that, that the Eredivisie or, or the Bundesliga is not as physical as the championship, but, they're all a huge step up from from under twenty three football, and a technical level's higher. So I'm kind of fine with it. I think we just need to find him somewhere he's going to play, because you know he's he's supposedly the next big thing out of the academy. I know you're not a massive Eddie fan, but we, it sounds like we've basically put our money on Balogun being the one and not Eddie. 
and therefore I, I we think really need to get Balogun right. There's also an issue in that they have the same agent, right? And so does Saka. So I don't. I th- I think some of those conversations might be like, well, you can have one, but you know the other's got to go play football. But if Balogun was doing in a season and a half what Eddie's doing. I don't. I think there's a conversation to be had as to whether or not we've seen enough of Eddie to categorically, at a top level, to categorically say he won't make it. And not necessarily as like Arsenal's first choice striker, score loads of goals, but like to contribute in a way that we thought he probably couldn't. And it's an interesting thing to think about and probably one a debate we'll have in further podcasts. But for now, I do think we need to wrap up because I need to go and you just keep talking loads of rubbish. So um, I've been Pet Barisha at P-E-T-B-R-I-S-H-A on Twitter. And you have been? That was weird. JB <laughs> at Gunapana on Twitter. <laughs> this is why having cameras on is so good because like you were you were looking down and then you suddenly looked up when I offended you and it was uh, great to see um, thank you very much everyone for listening um, have a great day happy holidays and yeah look out for the next one hopefully we don't we don't take another five month hiatus but you never know right? see you in 2023 see you in just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time (gasps) no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details